Dr. Mayambu, good evening to you and welcome. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Uh, when did you come back? I came back just before lockdown, okay. and now I've been in lockdown, and I'm very tired of lockdown. Okay. And how are you keeping? Are you healthy? We're trying. We're trying. We're trying. We're trying. Keeping safe, uh, making sure that uh, we, we sanitize on exit and entry, and we put our glo- uh, um, gloves and masks on. So we're trying. Uh, but, Doc, I mean, I want us maybe to start off, uh, I guess, um, in drawing uh, some of the connections that I think many of us uh, in the world of media and in the public discourse have failed to make. Uh, I think um, all of us are rightfully angered uh, by uh, the consistent pattern we've seen from the United States uh, in uh, the targeting of black communities uh, uh, in the brutality exercised by law enforcement officials in that country. And uh, certainly something uh, that is uh, not new to us here in South Africa. And uh, we find ourselves in a moment where we're dealing with the same issues. Uh, But, uh, of course, it takes on different forms. What are some of the connections you've drawn, for instance, between... Uh, the recent killing of George Floyd and uh, uh, also the uh, recent uh, killing of Collins Causa in Alexandra? Yes, thank you for asking the question. And I think that we should take this opportunity not only to look at what is happening in the U.S., but also what is happening here in South Africa during this lockdown and how many people have been killed by police violence. And not only how many people have been killed during the lockdown, but how many people are periodically killed with in police violence here in South Africa. So it's very easy to look at the U.S. and say, oh my goodness, what is happening, especially because the event was captured on video. And, uh, of course, that, that makes it so painful. That man, uh, Derek Chauvin, the officer, put his knee on some, a man's neck who could not breathe for 8 minutes and 46 seconds while other police officers just stood there and let it happen. I mean, it's a very shocking thing, and the casual nature of the way he just killed a man and took his life is, is appalling, frankly. Um, and I think the reaction is absolutely a reaction to the systematic, structural, institutionalized racism in the U.S. economic, political, social, justice environments. I mean, we could just go on. Every system in the U.S. is, is affected by that. So we in South Africa are very uh, um, used to identifying racism and saying, my goodness, we, we will not stand for that. And that yeah. is correct. Yeah. And nobody should stand for that. But we are less used to, for some reason, we're less used to, to calling out our own people. Mm. And, the, uh, you know, during this lockdown, it's, either, it's unclear how many people have been killed by the defense forces, by uh, SAPs and by Metro Police. I mean, there are 11 or 12 or 13 people, perhaps more, who've been killed during this lockdown. And uh, the president has said that it was over-enthusiasm. That's not over-enthusiasm. That is a human rights abuse. And that is why we, we fought to have democracy. So I think it's very dangerous, this, uh, this normalization mm-hmm. of police violence we have here. And yeah. also, I will say this for the U.S. You know, you can see the U.S. is in flames. I mean, the reaction to this has been like a wildfire. I mean, mm. there, there are protests in more than 75 cities and, uh, you know, people, and obviously there's been a very unfortunate element with uh, looting, which we cannot support because we do not support violence and, and, and also people burning their own neighborhoods down does not help the, uh, the situation. But people are very frustrated. The U.S. obviously has been uh, hit very hard by pand- the pandemic with a very poor reaction from Donald Trump, who of course is not does not have capacity to deal with it. Um, and, uh, you know, they've lost over 100,000 people. Over 40 million people 
um, have lost their jobs. Uh, and many of those are black and brown people. The pandemic also hits black and brown people who, again, are usually of a lower socioeconomic class, do not have access mm. to good medical care in the U.S., which is and a very unequal society like same, our own. You know, the same subaltern or underclasses of society in the U.S. also happen to be overly represented in frontline health workers that are responding Absolutely. to this crisis. Yes. Absolutely. And that's why they're, they're suffering more. So we can see that this reaction, I mean, the U.S. has not seen such, uh, uh, you know, crazy looting and riots like this, I mean, I think for something like half a century. So it's, it's a very shocking thing to witness it. But at the same time, I'm going to say this, you know, here in South Africa, we didn't see any rioting or protests over this police violence that we see periodically. And that is also a reflection on our democracy. Also, by the way, when they instituted curfews in, in the U.S., Right now, hey, they've interviewed it because there was civil unrest. Some cities introduced curfews. It's a very shocking thing to happen in the U.S., mm. but it's happening because there is extreme civil strife. Yeah. We have had a curfew in lockdown for for one month. Mm. Nobody okay. knows why, because uh, is a virus, is civil unrest? No. But, you yeah. know, we, and so we've seen a very, very harsh lockdown here, mm. and the measures taken by the security services have been extremely harsh, but yet... We are not allowed to go and protest because I believe that there are 73,000 um, South African Defence Forces in the streets mm. right now. So okay. we have to really question what is exactly going on. And I guess there's a big question around where are those deployed? Uh, I mean, certainly people don't see them in the suburbs or in many other places where Absolutely. more affluent live. So I want us to pause here for a second, uh, Dr. Miyambu. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, I want us to talk about this uh, enclave culture. Uh, within the police service and uh, even within the military and how that often absolves people. I mean, we saw something similar in the Rodney King case and even in the Trayvon Martin case. We continue. Seven minutes it is before 9 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. Uh, we're under the microscope this evening and I'm in conversation with uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Melissa Tandiwe Miyambo and uh, we're speaking about uh, some of the uh, connections we can draw uh, in the civil unrest that we see in the United States and, of course, uh, the uh, security and law enforcement response as part of the uh, uh, emergency and uh, uh, state of disaster measures uh, here in South Africa. Now, uh, Doc, you would have heard that clip there from um, uh, a report shortly, I guess, uh, after the uh, L.A. riots in the early 90s uh, and uh, the case of Rodney King. And, uh, uh, you know, if, if there's any interesting feature that I find in all of these cases is that... Um, uh, there's always uh, an entire institutional defense uh, for some of these human rights violations. In the case of Rodney King, it was uh, the L.A. Uh, uh, you know, legal department coming into the fold. In the case now of Collins Causa, it seems uh, that uh, it, it might be one of the boards, certainly by, by observation and from what we can see, that it's one of the boards within the military. And, uh, of course, the military is also a space where uh, many of us civilians don't know what happens there. We don't know uh, the structure of the command and uh, the disciplinary structures that sit in the military and how they arrive at some of their conclusions as much as we would, for instance, in a court where you can just walk in and uh, you know observe proceedings. Talk to me about some of your own perspectives about how uh, the systematic parts of, of this crisis indicate uh, or always come to, to the to party uh, when somebody has to be placed before the dock and has to answer uh, to their challenges and uh, they're never short of defenders it seems uh, in all of these cases uh, and even if I go further to India where people are being made uh, to frog march by the army in a fashion quite similar to what we see in our townships here that there's always some justification from the powers that be there's always justification uh, when power oversteps its limits uh, other powerful uh, 
um, factions come to its aid. And it's very unfortunate. In the Collins Cosa case, I read that apparently uh, him, he and his brother-in-law or something were, were uh, provoking female officers, and this is a problem of gender inequality, so we must say that he is not a feminist, therefore he deserves to die. No. I'm sorry. Everybody must, if he was doing something wrong, then there must be a process. The process is not to beat someone to death. And, uh, and so it's very unfortunate, and I think that people should be uh, asking a lot of questions about exactly what is happening in this and who is this who are these people who've decided that uh, there's not a case i mean within the military I, it's as you said it's it's a very um, opaque structure i don't have as a civilian i'm i'm not really sure exactly what's going on but uh with the amount of police violence we've been seeing i think that we're going to have to ask for uh, more questions to be answered and a proper investigation. Apparently, they did not speak to members of his family, uh, which is very confusing. How would you conduct an investigation? And I think that rightfully so, if we saw this in the U.S., um, we would be able to critique it. So I think that we must also criticize what's happening there and demand justice there, but we must also look at ourselves and say, we also here must demand justice. Mm. What do you make of the discourse? I mean, you know, if I, if I look back say, this time last week or even towards the latter part of the week, um, there was very much, least of all in affluent circles here in South Africa, much made of what's happening in the U.S. uh, with uh, many quite ignorant or even overlooking what happened here at home. Uh, And I guess there was some sort of reset button that was pressed because over the weekend we started to see uh, all manner of, you know, visual banners with Collins Cause, Asposis or Amos, Petros Michels and uh, Adane Emmanuel uh, as, uh, you know, the names to the faceless bodies that are often bandied about and uh, spoken about in the media. Uh, how important is it that uh, we use this opportunity of what's happening uh, you know, in the world's most industrialized nation uh, to also shine a spotlight and maybe, uh, I guess, uh, widen our aperture on our understanding of yeah, our because, own history here at home? Yes, I think that we must, we must do that because, unfortunately, the people who make noise for the media on Twitter and Facebook are middle-class people who don't have the army patrolling the streets. Sure. Right. So as you already said, it's a very much a class nature. Who is patrolled? Where are the troops deployed? Early on in the lockdown, you know, there were unmarked cars going uh, in Hillbrow, beating people with shambox. I don't think a shambox is even supposed to be legal anymore in South Africa. When they were asked by the Economist magazine, who has told you to do this? They said the orders came from the very top. Who are they referring to? We need to know that. But just because if you don't stay in Hillbrow and then you don't go on Twitter, then the media doesn't uh, report on this. This is a real problem. So I do think that, you know, we, it's very easy to focus on what's happening elsewhere, but we really do need to focus on what is happening here and our own lockdown situation and, and uh, the many human rights abuses that it has given spawn to, which are very unfortunate because that is not what South Africa is supposed to be about in its best self, you know? Uh, so I'm very disturbed by what's happened, frankly, and it's, um, it's painful yeah. because we did not, this is not what, what uh, South African democracy is supposed to look like. Mm. No democracy is supposed to look like that. Tanwe, before I let you go, uh, you know, many people are asking themselves, I guess, with wave on wave of successive protests in the United States, uh, you know, how that um, interfaces or influences uh, the um, gradient of the uh, curve of the transmission or the spread of the COVID-19 uh, crisis. We know that the U.S. Uh, certainly even prior to, to the killing of George Floyd uh, had a massive uh, public health uh, care challenge in uh, containing the spread of COVID-19. And now you add to this, uh, I guess, uh, all of the civil unrest that we've seen. Uh, what implications does that have 
uh, for the U.S. as it makes its way into, uh, I guess, the mid of the summer uh, in that neck of the woods. You mean that will the protests um, prove to be clusters where there's more transmission? Of, yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, it can be, but I think that. I think to understand the rage that people are feeling, we have to remember that this has happened many, many, many times. And those police officers are always, I mean, you played Rodney King. Those police officers never paid the price for that. And we can just go through case after case after case after case where normally they don't even lose their job, let alone get arrested. But even if they get arrested, do they ever get uh, um, put in prison? I mean, it's so, it's, it's never. So I think that people have just had it. And I, I think that last time I spoke to you, um, was when I was in with Bernie Sanders' campaign, right, yeah. in January in the U.S. And I saw some things about the U.S. that I didn't know at that time. I saw that people are, are extremely desperate. It's a very precarious capitalist economy mm. in the U.S., mm. much like our own, sure. highly unequal. And people, the suffering is immense. So I think that, that the, the suffering that people were already experiencing now on top of that, this, the virus has just put people over the edge, frankly. Mm. I already cited the numbers. 40 million people unemployed, mostly women, mostly people of color. And then uh, plus the number of deaths, again, unequally hitting you know, people of lower socioeconomic class and, and people of color, again, who are overly represented in the lower socioeconomic mm. classes. So it's, it's a very, it's, I think people have just um, had it, you know, it's, you don't go into the streets and, and, and they, you know, they also defied curfews. I mean, they are being hit with tear gas and rubber bullets. I mean, even in New York City, the daughter of the mayor of New York City was even arrested mm. in a protest. And obviously she comes from, a, you know, a wealthier family, yes. etc. But it's, it's, it's almost uh, sort of symbolic of how, uh, you know, young people are not seeing any future right now. Uh, they're, they're already depressed with climate change and everything else. Okay. And uh, the fact that uh, you're probably working a zero-hour contract, no job security or anything else, uh, certainly Big makes... Big economy. Yeah, I mean, it makes for an environment where you have very little to lose. Uh, Dr. Tandiwe, uh, Melissa Miyambo, always a pleasure catching up with you. Really, really appreciate Thank uh, you so much. Thank you so much. And uh, Dr. Miyambo there is uh, with the uh, Center for uh, Indian Studies in Africa at the University of the Witwatersrand. We're going to have to leave it there. The man with the music's already here. You have yourself a great evening. Take strength. Keep safe. And also, uh, take that tipple very, very responsibly. We don't want to lose you on the other side of this because of Ungano. Have yourself a great evening. Take strength, my African. Angoku, Sisai Banga, Le Economy.